welcome to our WEN Cafe on diversity in the workplace, a subject that is incredibly important for us here at WEN Wales, the Women's Equality Network Wales. Our vision is a Wales free from gender discrimination. And in terms of um, realising that vision, obviously a big part of that is around uh, the workplace and women in the workplace. And we want to see equal numbers of men and women in the workplace. We want to see men and women getting paid um, equally in the workplace. We want to see women um, on the senior, senior leadership teams. Um, and when I say women, I mean all women. That includes disabled women, women of color, LGBT women, and women from all different socioeconomic backgrounds and protected characteristics. And as we all know, um, there is a gender pay gap in Wales. Um, it has actually gone down recently by 2%, but it was 14%. Uh, now it's about 12%. Um, there is an ethnicity pay gap. Um, and we also know that the employment rate for disabled people in Wales is half that of non-disabled people. So there's loads of work to be done um, in this area. And that's why I'm so pleased to have a really great panel here today um, who are going to help us explore this topic. Um, and as I said earlier, I'm going to ask everyone um, some questions. We're going to have a bit of a discussion and then you will be able to put your questions to the panel by using the Q&A function. So um, I'm really delighted, first of all, to um, welcome Rian Parry from North Wales. Rian is the Managing Director of Workplace WorkSafe Limited and Wind Farm Workplace. And she's also created a social enterprise called Opportunity Alliance. Um, and Rian's a fantastic, um, incredible woman who came on the WEN Mentoring Scheme, though she probably didn't even need to. She could have mentored um, certainly lots of the women on the scheme. Anyway, so Rian, starting with you, what does a diverse workplace mean to you? I think the diverse workplace is, is ideas. Different people have different ideas and, you know, from the situations they've grown up from and things like that. And I, I always have a, a mantra that I run by is if you're the most intelligent person in, in the room, you need to be in a different room. Well, I think it's the same on diversity. If you've just got one set of um, similar people in a room, you're just going to have the same answer, aren't you? And, you know, it's it's about, well, you might have a problem, but somebody might just bring in an amazing idea that somebody wouldn't have thought about, but because they've got a slightly different background or thought process or whatever. So I think diversity is totally and truly so important in a, in a workplace. Thank you, Rian. Uh, excellent. And I'm gonna to come to Martha next. Now, Martha is a charity founder and she's also a newly qualified tutor for FE students. Um, and she's also one of our where, where 100 Welsh women. So welcome, Martha. Um, I'd really like to ask you um, to start with what's influenced your thinking around diversity and inclusion and what's motivated you to get involved as an advocate for change? You just... Hello, yeah, I was just unmuting myself, yeah. Oh, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure as usual. It's always nice for me to be invited, to be part of these panels, to be part of these discussions, because I really feel they are, they are very, very important. Um, as you say, I'm a, char I'm a charity founder. 
Um, my charity is called Love Zimbabwe. <clears throat> and my charity looks after parents of disabled children. So it says in that um, I've been influenced by, because I grew up in Africa, I grew up in Zimbabwe, where equalities don't exist, especially for women. So as a girl who grew up in a, in a village, in a rural area, firstly, there were inequalities between race. There was, I never grew up with white people. And um, all I saw was the relationship between a white man and a black person, a black person being the servant and a white person being, uh, uh, being the host, being the boss. And um, inequalities amongst disabled people as a person, a mother to a child who died with mental healthiness, I thought I wanted to challenge these stereotypes that exist in my community by doing something that raises awareness that we are all human beings despite sex, gender, despite who you are, whether you're disabled or not. So all those things are things that have influenced my thinking and, uh, around diversity. And then when I moved to UK, I actually realized that these inequalities, it's not just where I grew up, that they exist. They also exist even here in the developed world where I am actually, I, I, I've been shocked that we are in the 21st century where you would think people in the developed world are more where are more aware, are more well-educated, they've got more understanding about issues that affect minorities. But um, unfortunately, no, we're still struggling with inequalities. So that's, that's what has influenced my thinking. Thank you. Thank you, Martha. Um, thank you very much. So next on to Leandra Crane, um, who is the Equip Project Officer at Disability Wales. She's responsible for connecting disabled people's organisations um, and disabled university students. So welcome, Leandra. Wonderful to have you here. Um, can you share with us what a diverse and inclusive workplace can do for people short term and long term? Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Um, it really goes back to what Rian was saying, because when you have limited demographics within your workplace, you're going to have limited thinking. By bringing in more diversity and having more thoughts and more opinions, you get such a wider point of view, which is really, really important. And, you know, that's a good benefit for the short term. But also, when you're developing this, what ends up happening is you become more inclusive as you're bringing in these voices all the time. But what that can also mean is for an organization's point of view, this can be really beneficial for either customers, members, um, for example, and can actually bring in more because people look at them and go, oh, it's inclusive and brings in more people who are disabled or um, have other protected characteristics. Um, so I think both kind of short term and long term is that breadth of view when looking at the world, I think is the most important thing. And then the long term benefits of that are really, you know, wonderful. Thank you, Leandra. That's really helpful. And um, finally, coming to Ellie, who is head of HR or head of people at Sarah, Sarah, um, and which is a, a really fantastic company and a member of for Cardiff. So Ellie, why 
Why is a diverse workplace important to you? Um, yeah, so I've worked in HR for a number of years and I've been in the tech sector for a long time, which has its its own kind of spin on kind of struggling with diversity. Um, it's it's kind of renowned for being very kind of male dominant. Um, and it it really kind of, from my perspective, has an influence on the culture. And also, um, as Rian was saying, it, it really influences the outputs that you're getting as a business. So um, there's that element of like group think. If you've got a, a very male dominated team, they're going to think about things that are familiar to them. Whereas really kind of focusing on the diversity, you get a better blend of people within your team, you get stronger ideas, you get more diverse thinking, um, and also you get a really good culture as well, which has obviously its knock on to performance, motivation, engagement, and things like that. Um, but I mean, some of the things that I've become very aware of is, aside from sort of group think, is about data bias, um, working in tech, the, the things that you create within the tech sector are only as good as the data that you put in. The outputs are going to have a negative impact because they're not going to be as beneficial to the, the, the diverse nature of the customers. So I think from an internal side of things, they're some of the reasons that diversity is super important from my perspective. Okay, thank you, Annie. Well, moving back to Rian, um, who's um, a business person as well, as you'll have heard, um, if you were here at the beginning of the seminar, Rian is M from North Wales and MD of Workplace WorkSafe, as well as many other things. So Rian, what, um, so we've talked a bit about how diversity can benefit your business, but what measures are you taking at your business to ensure inclusivity and diversity thrive? And does this relate to your own lived experience in any ways? I set up a new social enterprise because I got really upset a couple of years ago. As I, you know, we're quite inclusive and diverse here in, in, in sunny Ruthin, but we we asked some people to help us to with a with a product, and I um, we asked um, adults with neurodiversity to help us, and and the project was phenomenal, and I was just absolutely totally inspired. And then we've all heard about the problems in the industry for recruiting people, so I've I've made it my mission the last three years, and we're, we're about to go. But I was like, well, actually, okay, the UK as a, as a whole typically go to the same people every time when they're recruiting. I'm like, hold on, why don't we go and talk to people who really want a job and be massively grateful if they could have a job, but we've got a few barriers and we've got a few issues that we may need to get over. And I'm pretty sure they're gonna be the most loyal member of staff you're gonna have, work for you for many years and be utterly thankful for that job. So that's what we're going to do. And we're going to create a, not, a, not a bullshit job, sorry, Catherine Swore, but a real job, real money, real opportunities. And I think that is the way the UK needs to go. It's, you know, actually, we need a diverse, we need to go to different parts of um, different communities to get single working mums or dads, mothers who may have been historically looking after children while the parents were, were in, um, in work, maybe the grandma. What about them coming back into work? They'd love to, you know, now the kids have grown up and, you know, adults with um, disabilities, you know, th there is a massive pool of people that nobody mm. approaches. Well, let's turn that around. Let's do it. Yeah. What's the, can I, just to follow up, <laughs> what, I follow up, what is the social enterprise going to be doing? 
So my first pod, we've, we're going to have different pods because I believe there's going to be different needs in different communities. I think this is going to be across UK, but we're going to do it in Wales first because we're Welsh, right? And we like to set the pace. So the first one is going to be industrial machinists. So if you think it's not going to be Mike Baldwin's knicker factory or anything like that, but that's what everyone thinks about it. We're going to have 100 people being trained from um, vulnerable communities and maybe um, they may not be able to speak English, but we're going to get them trained up. We're going to get them to a level where we actually can introduce them to real employers who need people to fulfill the role. And actually, they're not going to get minimum wage. They're going to get better than minimum wage because it's a skilled job. UK don't do manufacturing anymore. So we're going to offer them career opportunities and work around, maybe even offer them a creche. So then we've got the, the, the childcare, because that's the biggest barrier for a lot of parents, isn't it? So if we can work together, remove the barriers and let's get people into work, because there's plenty of people who want to work. They just can't access work at the minute. OK, thank you, Ian. That's that's Sorry, I'm a bit passionate about it. <laughs> I can I can tell. And um, that's helped paint a, a really good picture of, of how you're you're actually yeah moving forward and trying to do something positive in terms of inclusivity um so that's amazing so moving on to leandra now um so can you can you share with us some of the specific ways you've advocated for change and the successes and challenges you've faced of course yes um I think one of the interesting things for me is when I was at university, I was doing a degree that was so far from disability rights, um, but I had a student placement and it really changed my mindset. And one of the biggest things that came out of that placement was I became more confident in advocating. Um, and I did this a little bit as an academic representative, but I was really struggling to make change in the long term. So by coming into this field, I've really kind of taken that on and done my best. So one of the things we do is student placements and we've had a good look at the student placements we off, we've offered and we've really um, worked really hard on improving them and increasing, for example, um, some of the challenges we were having because some students weren't qualifying for programmes that are supposed to support students because they were too old for example. So going through and looking at our processes and how we can support students who can't come in through a programme, for example. Um, and that's just, um, and we've had a great placement um, in the last year or so. Um, and that was our first student and it went brilliantly. Um, and that's just one way I've um, been helping to advocate for um, change in terms of processes to make sure people aren't left behind, even those, you know, even with the programmes that are there supposed to improve <laughs> um opportunities for people um and i've just been continuing that with the equip project um and working to um get as much opportunity out there as possible especially for disabled university students and um, because that is the perfect time to get those different kinds of experience in that, that's really interesting leandra and what it, so yeah there are barriers that rian talked about and that you've talked about and it's about um partly it's about thinking through um, for example, we mentioned the caring aspect, and but for the people you're working with, it's about um, for, for disabled people, and it, it's about intervening early so that you try and stop um, or, or you know make sure that there there is a pathway 
to to jobs and um, if people want jobs. So that's, yeah, really interesting. Yeah, find out those barriers and overcome them. I'm going to um, come to Martha next, but I just wanted to ask you all to think about a question that we will ask uh, soon, um, which has come in from Jenny Ramsey, which is if there was one specific thing you'd like to see the Welsh Government introduce in this Senedd term, what would it be? So think on that, everyone, um, just to give you a bit of warning. Um, but I want to come to Martha next, um, Martha, and ask you about um, what what do you what do you think if what are the long term consequences? We do hear a lot of can I call it diversity wash? Perhaps you know it's like green wash where companies may say they're doing something positive, um, and they say that they're you know they they've got a target say for fifty fifty women and no gender pay gap. What are the um, consequences if all companies just give these encouraging words about diversity, but it doesn't actually lead to action and change? You're on mute, Martha. I keep forgetting that I need myself. Sorry about that. Yeah, so what happens is it we will continue to suffer discrimination and inequality. And um, results of that, um, it, it leads to a weaker society where other groups of people have no voice. For example, myself, I've been, since I've been in Wales, the last two jobs that I've been involved in, unfortunately, I've experienced a lot of um, feeling that uh, I'm not included. And yet the organization would be saying things to make me feel like I'm part of the system and that I'm not part of the system. So I think this is really bad in that um, the, the, the country will lose they will lose out on economically, socially, culturally, on what the minorities could, could contribute. So you end up, because you are withdrawn, because you're not part of the system, because they are pretending that you're part of the system, uh, you, you end up having no voice within, um, within the, the organization. So there are psychological effects as well that affect the people within the, the organization who are not being part of, who are not part of the inclusiveness. So most people end up not being part of those jobs. Most people end up not wanting to be part of that kind of community, that kind of society because of those um, kind of nice words about diversity. I'm not sure if that's, yeah, no, yeah, I think it has answered it, Martha. I think it's because it's not only about saying, setting targets and saying what, um, you know, this is what we aspire to. It's about living. It's about living that and making sure that the workplace is welcoming to people of all protected characteristics. Um, and I can see a comment from the wonderful Uzo Iwobi who says, well said, there is a great need for change in welcoming and embracing diversity. And that is absolutely the case. Um, it's not enough to say it, you need to embrace it. Um, absolutely. So Ellie, back to you now. Um, um, and I just wanted to ask what actions you are taking. So having talked about that, you can't just um, kind of make promises. What actions are you taking at Sarah? 
<laughs> so I don't know why I'm having problems saying the word properly, um, uh, in terms of diversity and inclusivity. Thank you. Yeah, I'm actually quite lucky. One of the biggest things I would definitely say that's important is really getting that top level buy-in from your, your leadership. Um, and it was something that the founders of Ciro were already really passionate about. Um, so not having to almost explain the, the business case for having a diverse workforce was a massive help for me because it, it kind of means that I can just crack on with kind of looking for other strategies that we can focus on. But I would say, yeah, first and foremost, you've got to get the buy-in of your, of your top level management, make sure that they're really kind of embracing diversity, they understand the benefits to the business. Um, and then obviously thinking about the practical side of things. So right now, Sarah's going through a huge amount of growth. We're looking for uh, doubling the size of the team. Um, so we're recruiting quite a lot. And obviously recruiting is one of the kind of first stages where you really want to try and make sure that you're, you've got no kind of um, subconscious bias kind of creeping in. Because even though we're all in this um, forum and we're sort of very aware of it, everybody's got their own sort of ingrained biases that you don't even realize that you have um, so thinking about utilizing sort of software that's available now for recruiting that um, makes uh, your applications anonymous so that you've got no way of having any sort of um, in creeping biases that you might have that's a really definitely a, a way to go and it's super easy and it's not massively costly to businesses um, a lot of systems actually integrate it anyway it's like simply a, a thing you can turn off a function that you can have that's available um, and also if you're working with recruiting partners so right now we don't have an in-house recruiter that's something obviously we're looking to get to as we grow uh, but we use a lot of agencies and we're very clear with them that when they send us candidates we want to see a real split of diversity when they're submitting candidates so that we're not just getting you know white men through for every single role which is if you don't spell it out that is generally what you end up with um and so when we're very kind of clear we're like look yeah. you sent us so many candidates we want to see um, a real mix of candidates um and um Sorry, Martha, you're not on mute at the minute. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay. Why does it come out? I don't believe this. I'm so sorry. It's okay. No problem. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah, so having that split from your agencies is really important um, and it can encourage them to really kind of look broader across the, the local market and possibly further afield so that you're getting a really diverse uh, number of candidates and I'd also say we're even starting to think about positive action which I think there's pros and cons to it um, but if you're working in the tech sector for example um, sometimes you really have to kind of push and say look we don't have a very diverse workforce it is very male heavy so you end up actually saying no we want to look for um, women in the industry um, and positive action is something that I can I, I do think has its benefits as well. Definitely. I mean, we, we're not all in favour of positive action because I think there is um, absolutely, if you think about it, we've been, there are kind of informal quotas and informal um, rules, if you like, that are keeping the, the status quo and we need to change that. So has your business thought about setting targets, for example, on diversity, Ellie, or anything like yeah. that? Really we drive the change that you want to see. 
we we kind of really want to be quite ambitious and really go like 50 50 with the targets um so that we if we don't make it at least we're aiming for that um and i i think kind of going back to the question that you mentioned that was in here earlier on um from jen um i think that that's something i was going to sort of touch on the fact that i know we've got the the gender equality audit through the government for companies that are quite large like over 250 people but I think if they were going to put any changes through it's really sort of making all companies look at their their gender split and their their salary data and all the diversity levels because I think until you start looking at it you don't necessarily realize where you've got those natural skews so um, it's not until you suddenly pull a report and you go oh my goodness we've got hardly any people of this demographic you suddenly sort of realize where where your kind of gaps are and I would definitely say that's something that businesses should start thinking about so that you're more aware and then you can start targeting where you need to take action. Definitely Rian you've got your hand up go for it. I would go even further on that because what you're saying, Ellie, is totally right. But it's how you recruit and the 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 tone of the um, advert, the tone of you know we're we're doing it um, at the minute of we want to recruit a certain profile of people. Um, so you know if you keep getting white blokes applying, then it's it's obviously directed to them. So you know we're having to be really innovative and think about well actually what. Does what I we have we're talking to people to say what would what would you like to see in a job advert would make you apply for a job with us because because we're great when you get here but you're obviously we're putting you off somehow and I, I think you've just got to if yeah. industry can start thinking about that I think it make a big difference. Yeah, I, that's a really valid point actually. I didn't even think to touch on that. Um, I was uh, talking to our branding team um, a little while ago about the fact that we need to review all of our job descriptions because. Um, the language you use can alienate women, for example, and there's there's a lot of analysis into the types of words you use. If you sort of say, I'm looking for somebody who's quite scientific and mathematical and analytical, they generally lean towards males. Whereas if you're sort of like looking for organized and structured and a good communicator, generally it kind of goes towards the females. So when you're sort of thinking about in the tech sector, you're generally using a lot of masculine language um, and so reviewing the the words that you're using can have an impact on who you're attracting so yeah I totally agree with you great Ellie thank you now I'm going to ask uh, Martha the question about um, what is there one thing the Senate could do Martha um, to improve diversity in the workplace back to Jenny's question I've unmuted myself. <laughs> you good? Uh, yeah, I was just actually replying to Jenny in the chat as well because I just feel there is less representation of minorities. I think um, I'm not sure how many AMs are uh, from dis disabled community. I'm not sure how many AMs represent Black African. Uh, um, communities as well. So I think if we have a representation, I'm talking we as representing myself and the other people that uh, are part of uh, my community, that if we have a, a representation of uh, disadvantaged people, um, it doesn't necessarily matter people from uh, 
from my uh, background as a black person, but people who are disadvantaged all should be also part of the Senate. So we know we, uh, we have a representation. So we know we've got a voice as well in the Senate. That's, that's how I feel. Absolutely. And really. that will impact on social policies that will improve how they, they make their policies in the Senate. You're so right, Martha. And we that's something that we're campaigning for, um, that some of you may know about the Diverse 50-50 campaign. We're campaigning for gender and diversity quotas because we yeah. think positive action is definitely needed to get the change we yeah. want to see. And um, yeah. I'm sure we can post in the chat the petition we've got going actually up until January the 31st, which is on this very issue around, it's great, Welsh Government have committed to gender quotas um, in the Labour Applied Agreement, but we want to see diversity quotas as well. And quotas are fine because informal quotas have been in place since time immemorial. And it's those informal quotas that are returning the same um, white middle-class men and often white middle-class women too, to the Senate. So we need to kind of sweep away the informal quotas and for a period of time, put in place formal measures that will help redress that balance. And then uh, you're right, Martha, I think it's the same as the Senate, it's the same as a company, you need to have that positive action. Um, Leandra, would you like to answer um, that question around what you'd like to see the Senate do? Yeah, I really would. Because the interesting thing is that the Senate is already doing a lot of stuff. Um, I'm going to talk specifically about the disability sector. Um, they actively support the social model of disability. They've put together a disability rights task force. There's the locked out report um, where the issues disabled people face during the pandemic um, were put in a report, including some very bad statistics. The problem is, is that unless you're in this area of the third sector, you probably don't know about any of it. And that's the problem is there can be all of this good stuff going on and people don't know about it. Um, so I personally think that we need more information coming out from the Senate on all of these different issues, because I'm sure there are very similar um, things that Senate is doing for women, for um, ethnic minorities, for example, and there are policies in place that people just don't know about. So I think um, focusing and honing in on the things they're already doing and making sure people, the general public are aware of them is the absolute most important thing they should be doing because at the moment it's just the people with an interest, if that makes sense, the people who are passionate about it. So it's only really the people who are affected by it, reading it or seeing it. And that just, makes the problem um, worse, in my opinion, because it doesn't actually help solve anything unless it is actually public wide. Yeah, well said, um, Leandra, I agree entirely. And there's another amazing, really great list of, and DW, Disability Wales have been behind a lot of these changes. And another one is around the access to elected office fund, which um, is supporting um, disabled people to stand for election, which is amazing. Martha, you'd like to come in. And just a reminder, please, everyone, do put more questions in the chat, but we'll come to Anne Collis's question shortly. Martha. Um, now I'm just responding straight away to Rene that is it actually having a positive impact towards the community? Is it actually happening? Is they actually doing it? Is there the practicality of it, or it's just written documents sitting in their offices where we don't see it, where we don't actually um, we, we don't see the impact 
where is the practicality of it? It's all right to write a document. It's all right to come up with a policy, but where is the practical side of it? Yeah, no problem. I'll do my best to answer um, those questions. So the locked out report was written and created by disabled people. Welsh Government have submitted a formal response. The creation of the Disability Rights Task Force was part of that response. Um, these are all still in the um, organising phase and they're going to be um, make, you know, putting recommendations and stuff in because they've only just really come together um, to start working on it. However, as Catherine said, there are other elements as well, like the access to elected office fund that I should have brought attention to, because that is actively going on right this minute. You can apply for the fund to ask for to ask for funding for reasonable adjustments if you're standing for office. Um, so I think that's maybe a better example than the one that first popped into my head, because, again, I think general people don't know about it. Um, and I think that's part of the problem. So I hope that answers it a little bit better um, because there are written documents, written policies, lots of talk from politicians, obviously, and the Senate in general, but they are making very productive steps. But if people don't even know what steps they're taking, that's the problem. Got you. I think you think what we're all it's it's a it's interesting, isn't it? Because there are a lot of action plans. There's the race equality action plan. There's the LGBTQ plus action plan. There's the gender equality review. So I guess it's there are lots of documents out there um, from Welsh government. And then there's lots of things. It's, it's again like the businesses making maybe making commitments, but it's about do they follow up with real action? And perhaps our job as activists is to um, kind of hold to account businesses and government to make sure that they do actually do what they say they're going to do. Now I really want to come to Anne Collis's question, which is a really great question around a biz, what um, she'd like to know, a business case that can be presented to a board of exec and non-exec directors to say, this is why you need diversity on your board. I think that's what Anne is asking for. So what, what, how did this help the business thrive? I'm guessing economically, because that's the way businesses often operate. You know, what was it that worked and who's got a business case? So Rian, great, you've got your hand up. I think it touches on what we've just spoken as well. So, I mean, I work in the renewable sector. So I deal with wind farms all over the UK and they're desperately trying to get more women into the sector. And they've been trying for years because you typically got young chaps who go and climb a wind turbine and fix it. And they're like, no, no, we want a diverse. And they're truly up for it. You know, they, they, they're, they're talking the talk, they're walking the walk. They just, they, they couldn't recruit people. And the business case was they looked into it. I was talking to them about it. And the reason why women weren't joining was as simple as going to the toilet offshore on a wind turbine. So sorry for this discussion, but imagine if you're a lady and you come on your period and your your boat is six hours away from the from, from you, you know, blokes don't have that problem, do they? And it was only once the the business spoke to women and said, actually what's stopping you from joining the industry it's a toilet on a tower oh is that it yes okay well we're gonna helicopter a, to a, a toilet or, or lift it onto there and they're getting more women into it and they're like because they truly want to embrace a really diverse culture because they see the benefits of it you know the better problem solving the, the fixing of um you know the minds coming together but i think we have to 
um, you know, Martha touched on it uh, and Ellie did as well. Ellie is truly driving and us as a business as well. We want a diverse workplace. But as Martha said, you've got to walk the, walk the walk and talk the talk. You, unless somebody feels comfortable or they, they are truly a diverse workplace, nobody's going to stay. So, you know, that's, that's really, I think it's a really good case study of, of how industry can, can, can put that forward. You know, we just, they just need to know though, don't they? If we don't tell them, how are they ever going to know? Absolutely. Martha, do you have your hand up or is that from before? Um, I'm, Ellie would like to say something, I think. Um, Sorry. Can I um, just, before you start, Ellie, can I also bring in the wellbeing um, angle? Um, but you you go for it because I'm I'm conscious we're in um, for Cardiff's Wellbeing Week and I think there's the element around diversity supporting um, wellbeing as well. So, um, but Ellie, first of all, sorry, do address address. I was, and, I was and just going to um, touch off the back of Rian's statement about um, obviously thinking about what the blockers are. I recently read um, Invisible Women. And it was talking about data bias and I highly recommend it. Yeah, I highly recommend it. It's absolutely brilliant. And I didn't realize where there were a lot of um, situations where um, women haven't been involved and um, we've ended up at a disadvantage because the data is all very much focused uh, around kind of men or kind of um, not about disabilities or ethnicities and things like that and I was really surprised by a lot of the content in that book I highly recommend it there were simple things like why women don't have pockets in their clothes but just talking about what you were saying Rian about thinking about what people need there was one section in there a um, there was a female CEO and she was talking about how um, she didn't have any children I don't have kids and I very I'm very aware that even though I am a woman and I'm trying my best to overcome diversity challenges and things like that because I am not a parent I very much feel like I I can't empathize well it's not that I can't empathize but I didn't appreciate some of the challenges that working parents go through um so even though I'm female and I'm kind of fighting the good fight and everything reading that book it really highlighted that this this female CEO she'd sort of realized when she got pregnant about how she had to park her car miles from the office and walk to the office and how she had really sort of sore ankles and how her feet hurt and things like that and she suddenly thought oh my goodness like I, even though she was a woman in business and really high up she hadn't appreciated the challenges that um, pregnant women or working women had gone through and she suddenly changed the rules that women who were pregnant could park close to the offices um, but it, it's like thinking outside the box like just because we're women doesn't mean we kind of all fit into the same categories like I, I don't have any disabilities I'm white and it's trying to think outside of those boxes as well. Absolutely um, I don't know if you want to say anything Leandra about the question that we were talking about which Anne, Anne asked in the chat around uh, case studies of business cases for board and diversity um yeah i'm happy to say something so i did pop it in the chat as well because i wasn't sure how long i was going to have my screen break for but i was enjoying it too much and wanted to come back <laughs> to be honest um so with our organization we can have disabled people's organizations be members but in order to qualify this they need to have a resolution saying that 51 percent of both their management committee and members have to identify as being disabled so obviously this works best when you're looking at organizations that work in the third sector or advocacy groups 
Um, but just as an example, because I also noticed your comment about, you know, making a more diverse board and having similar kind of resolutions for other types of diversity would also be really beneficial there, I think. Um, and just to add on a little bit from what Ellie was saying in terms of just because um, you're a woman doesn't mean you know what all women go through um, and the same goes for the disabled community as well there are so many different types of issues that you can have in terms of accessibility and it's all about getting information from those with lived experiences and getting as much inf information from as many people as is physically possible and that's the only way that you can work to be better and um, be as inclusive as possible is by listening to those with the lived experience from as many of them as you can get really. Absolutely, I agree entirely. And I think what what um, all those points have emphasized to me is the importance of listening, um, listening to your staff and your board and opening yourself up to other other people's opinions and really trying to understand and walk in people's shoes. Um, and it's something that I, I strive to do every day. And I know um, we, have, we when Wales have got more to do in terms of diversity, um, we've got an incredible team of seven um, who are amazing. And, um, but yeah, I know we, we've got more to do, but um, I wanted to bring, bring in the wellbeing aspect now. Um, and in your experience um, panel, what wellbeing benefits does a diverse workplace bring um do you think because we are in well-being week and can diversity really help with um with our well with well-being in, in the workplace so who wants to answer that one first leandra go for it um i think it's a really interesting question because it's something i was having a discussion with someone else about this quite recently and what it is especially when looking at reasonable adjustments and accessibility um, when you actually look at what kind of reasonable adjustments there are um, and how you can improve accessibility, it's actually beneficial for everyone, not just um, the disabled person you're creating these accessibility um, aids for. Um, so things like, uh, I had a really good example the other day of um, speech to text software, because if you've broken your arm or something and can't type, it'll benefit you as well. Um, or if you're just having a bad day where you can't, function very well you can use other kinds of software to help you and it doesn't shouldn't just be oh if you're disabled um it should be available for everyone and i think having that kind of attitude where you can just go i'm not having a great day um i'm you know not disabled but i would benefit from this and being able to um go yep yeah, okay here you go sorted um and also just um and i think the importance of diversity and inclusion is and this is something i've experienced working for disability wales is it's so much easier turning around to someone and going i'm struggling with this lately because they can empathize and understand what i mean and i always when i think of larger organizations i always worry about the token diverse person as it were um because you know they're just stuck there by themselves and if they're in a room full of people who just won't get it they can then become very isolated as well and that's also um, quite concerning and can really damage well-being if you don't have people you can turn to who can empathize and understand which you know going back to your original question for me that long-term and short-term benefits um, is being able to have general support from the people 
around you. And it's so important um, when you're at work um, to be able to have that because everyone will have a bad day at work or a stressful day. And being able to have a good team around you can just really um, change how that day affects you. And I think that's really important. Amazing, Leandra. Yeah, that very well said. Yeah, being the token person is not a good, um, a, not a good place to be. Um, Martha. Um, I just feel when someone is included, when someone is part of the system, when they feel they're celebrated, they're celebrated, it adds up a lot on their psychological well-being. It adds up on their, <clears throat> their personal well-being. I can only give an example myself, what I've done for the people in Zimbabwe, um, introducing a community center for disabled people. Um, the women that I support in Zimbabwe, they've always been shunned by the community. So they were seen as people who are useless. And when we, be in, when we introduced a community center, I'm amazed how much they've come up. They're like they've blossomed because now they feel they, 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 are, they, they are being respected despite the disability element, despite that they've got children who are disabled. So I feel uh, when we introduce diversity in our communities, in our workplaces, it encourages people to, to, to improve their well-beingness, to, to, to engage them in the, in the whole aspect of the community when they feel they are part of the system. So I, I really think diversity is really important, not just, not just in workspaces, but I think in the whole arena of life. And they thrive, yeah. Well said, absolutely. It is, um, it, it so is. Um, so I've got a really good question here um, from, um, I'm not sure who changed that last is the name on the, um, on the chat. So how do we balance listening and learning from those with lived experience, but whilst ensuring their safety and well-being, because it can be traumatic for people to have to recount their experiences to those who haven't had the same challenges. That, um, so I'd really like um, one of the panelists to come and answer that one. Leander, you've got your hand up first again, go for it. I think the most important thing around talking about lived experience is you never harass anyone. Oh, can you tell me about this? Can you tell me about that? Can you tell me your experience when you went to this traumatizing thing? That is absolutely the wrong thing to do. However, you know, be open and say, if you ever want to talk about your experience and how we could improve, I'd be happy to listen, but always give the person with lived experience control over what they share. Because, I mean, I've got it personally, there was um, one experience I had and I couldn't talk about it for a year to the people because I would just get so emotional trying to explain why it was so traumatizing for me. And I'm a lot better with it now, but I would have found it traumatic if someone had hassled me to say, oh, but why was that a problem? You know, you were the only one who had an issue with that. Well, I was the only person that you couldn't do stairs. <laughs> you know? um, so I think that's, really important is making sure never to overly focus on one person and go oh tell me about this tell me about that but also if you're being there ready and open to listening that also means that you may not really be able to completely empathize and it's very important to be honest and just go I'm not 
you know, I don't work the same as you, so I can't 100% see it that way. But that doesn't mean I won't support you in what you're saying and accept what you're saying because I'm not like you, so I won't understand it. And it's okay to say that you don't understand, but you will act on what they've said. And I think that's really, really important to remember. Oh, thank you, Leandra. Really good advice. Rian, you've got your hand up. You go next. I think just following on from that, Leandra, is, is respect. You know, it, it's having the respect and, and, you know, asking somebody, do they want to talk about it? And, you know, genuine respect, not, oh, well, we're ticking a box here. What can we do? It's, you know, you've got to genuinely want to, to help or make a difference. And I, I think that comes across in how you talk to people and things, because we've all been sat in a room when somebody says, oh, how are you doing? And they don't, you could say, um, do you know what, I'm about to push jump off a cliff and they are oh, okay fine but you know actually I'm really not there today I don't want to be in work honestly my guys sometimes here they don't they're having a they're having a tough day so do you know what we we have a we, we take the foot off the pedal and yeah even I'm not allowed to but give them hugs you know I've been sat across the table holding the hand are you all right somebody split up with a girl go home honestly just go home you're gonna be no good in here today I don't mean that horribly but just go home go and have a coffee and get yourself together and I think if you if you're genuinely compassionate and you want to help I think that goes such a long way for people yeah absolutely Rian Ellie yeah, I was just going to kind of echo everyone's sentiment and thinking about the, the benefit of diversity. I think it's got huge benefits to kind of culture um, within an organisation and it helps improve like awareness and tolerance, um, having sharing kind of each other's experiences. And I really like what you said earlier, Catherine, about listening, but I think also what um, Leandra and Rian were saying about the fact that you need to us sometimes like a lot of the time I think we've typical British we've grown up with this oh I don't want to ask but sometimes you've got to almost overcome a little taboo and be like would you mind sharing your experience and I think that's important Leander as well sort of saying would you mind would you feel comfortable talking to me because some people are like yeah I, of course I will tell you but other people are like, actually no I'd, I'd rather not and you've got to give them the opportunity to decline that if they want to um, but yeah definitely it helps build kind of education within the workforce and fosters that kind of cohesion within a team and that shared empathy and understanding of each other's situation because they may not um, encounter a diverse work uh, a, a diverse group of people at home or within their social setting whereas in a workplace you might have the opportunity to have a really diverse group of people engaging and sharing their experiences. Thank you, Ellie. Um, there's a question in the chat, and this will probably be our final question as we're, we're coming towards the end. Um, but there's a question in the chat around um, the barriers that disabled people face can mean being able, not being able to work like nine to five. Um, it can be unachievable. What can be done about this? It's interesting. I think Rian's company, Social Enterprise, is potentially uh, an example of... Um, something that can be done about this but um i'm guessing leandra might have something to say on this <laughs> oh definitely um the issue with um larger organizations in particular is that they pay a lot of money for these offices um and so they kind of expect people to go in and use them essentially and that makes it very very difficult 
Now, obviously, due to the pandemic, a lot of people have been working from home. What's um, interesting about this, especially for a lot of disabled people, is that many, many people have been asking to work from home for years and denied. And then people were able to turn that around in a couple of months and make it work, um, which I find very interesting. But it's also not... So having the option of how you work is very, very important and something more organization or more organization should be doing. So also encouraging flexible working. So I'm on a part time contract myself, um, but I have it spread over the five days so that I can have a two hour lunch break um, to help just regather my energy to do work in the afternoon. And that works really well for me. But it's only because my organization gave me the freedom to be able to do that. That, that was in place if I had to go in and do a nine to five every day I would not be in work it is that simple I would not be able to do it um so I very much relate to the question um so hybrid working as well I just saw that um going from Martha um having that flexibility and personal choice as it were and everyone should be able to have that choice because it's not just disabled people parents who need to be able to go and go do the school run for example uh, but I'll let other people speak as well but that was my piece on it thank you so much Ellie um yeah Leandra everything you've said I think the, the there's definitely been positives out of the pandemic um one thing I always emphasize whenever I'm chatting to new candidates within CERO is that our company was really kind of a um, <clears throat> bit of a trailblazer. They were uh, offering flexible working before the pandemic. And um, I think a lot of companies have sort of jumped on the bandwagon. Uh, but one thing that we try and distinguish is the fact that there are some companies that are um, what we talked about, the kind of diversity washing. And there's a lot of flexible washing going on where companies are like, yeah, we're flexible, but you've got to be in between these hours and you can have your lunch between these hours. So we very much talk about true flexible working and our company is, is really proactive and they're like, if you want to finish early or if you want to start late, if you want to work on the weekend and take a half day, it's focusing on outputs. And I think that's one thing that's really important, regardless of what your commitments are. I think the pandemic is really kind of shifting the world of work um with regards to how we're working it's more about outputs and effectiveness not bums on seats nine till five exactly yeah we we've given up our our when wales office and i feel like we're much more um agile now because um anybody you know there was people didn't actually have to come into work i'm you know and that they, they could people we've got people with kids doing school runs um, and, and so on, and people with maybe caring responsibilities, whatever. And it's just really, I feel like that um, the adjustments and, and the hybrid way of working has had some real benefits, not just for our own well-being, but also for, if you think about it, the environment. Rian, quick comment from you, and then I'm going to wrap up. You're muted. Sorry, we've been talking about this quite a lot. And I think, you know, we have to recognize you're always going to have some superstar salesperson who wants to go in and do 12 hours and they want to get a bonus and they want to be, think, whereas you've got some people who would be real, all, all they go to work to is to pay for the bills or for the holiday or survive. You know, they don't want a career. They're quite happy um, how, how they are. And it's like, actually, businesses, industry have to be a bit more agile in what they're offering to people and saying, actually, you know what, we might need to get four people to cover one person's job. But if our productivity is exactly the same and we get the same output, 
what's the problem? Okay, it's a little bit of a pain with pay why and you know having extra people on payroll. Sorry, Ellie, but it's not a big drama, really, is it? So, you know, I just think you know the, the government and the industries have to really look at what people want, what they're coming back. But if we push back to them and say, actually, I only want to work three hours a day. Can I just say I'd love to do that, by the way? I would really love a three-hour day, or I want to work 12 hours, or actually, I want to work three days and have four days off you know we've we've got to, and look at the industry and how can we be agile enough to be able to offer really good work to people because we're missing out on such a diverse workforce that could bring so much to them you know we, it'd be silly not to thank you so much um what an amazing discussion i've really i feel like i've really learned a lot and i hope those um attendees have also who've come thank you so much to our amazing panelists there are just two more things i want to raise one is um uh we are going to do shortly a quick poll to just gather some data on how um who's come to the to this event um because we do need that and also i'd really love to um encourage you all to do the poll which is right there and um also i wanted to mention our we've got um our when at 10 fundraising is going on right now we uh, it's our 10th anniversary and we're celebrating that by doing some ridiculously crazy things like a skydive um but we're also doing other things and you can get involved by doing physical activities or um some enjoyable non-physical activities um and raise money doing things um, for us and we'd really love you to get involved Meg has put the um, link in the chat so all it remains me, for me to say is a huge thank you to our amazing panelists who have been absolutely brilliant I'm sure you all agree and also a really big thank you to for Cardiff for doing this event with us today um, and you know introducing us to a new audience and, and a new and, and a new business Ellie's um, organization Sarah so thank you so much everyone it's been a real pleasure talking to you all um, and see you again soon at our next WEN Cafe. Thank you for joining us for the WEN Cafe podcast and this really important discussion don't forget to join WEN as a member for free if you haven't yet done so just visit whenwales.org.uk and click on join us you can also follow us on social media, Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is at WhenWales. Let us know what you thought of the podcast by getting in touch via our social channels or do email us. We're at admin at whenwales.org.uk.